0: Please turn your Bibles to John, chapter ten. And we've been in this section of text from John chapter eight, nine, and ten, where we've seen a lot of you know, sight and darkness, light and darkness. You know, Jesus said, "I am the light of the world." Back in chapter eight, and then in chapter nine, we see a, you know this this healing of the man born blind. You know, he's blind from birth and he can't see anything. And then Jesus goes after him and he heals the the man's physical blindness. And you can see in that chapter, in those last few chapters, of how the man who's born blind, he, he becomes able to see. He gains his sight. And so there's physical sight, but there's also spiritual sight. God enabled him to truly see, not just with his eyes, but with his heart. He saw the beautiful Savior, the Lord Jesus, and he worshiped Jesus. And you contrast that with what's happening with the Jews and the Pharisees. They claim to be able to see. They can physically see, yet as the chapter goes on, you can see they descend more and more into darkness and blindness. And even at the end of chapter nine, he says, like, you say you can see, but you, you don't see anything. You're, you're blind. And in other places in the gospel, they're the blind leading the blind, we're told. And so, you know, you can see that, you know, the Pharisees reject Jesus. They call him a sinner and they say he has a demon and is insane. We're going to see that here in chapter 10. Uh, and here in chapter 10, Jesus is further explaining their spiritual blindness, even gives them this illustration With Pastor Jared started into last week in the beginning of chapter 10. So we're going to take chapter 10, the first like 22 verses, and go through it together. And I pray that as we do, your hearts would see. That's my hope and prayer for us today, that the Holy Spirit will fill each of our hearts today, that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, Everyone in this room can see physically. And I pray that the eyes of your heart will see Jesus, the precious treasure and Savior of the world. And he begins here in chapter 10, verse 1. And he's just told them in chapter 9, like, you, you can't see, your guilt remains. And then he gives them this illustration. Truly I say to you, Jesus says, he who does not enter by the sheepfold Not enter the sheep pulled by the door, but climbs in another way. That man is a thief and a robber. Pastor Jared explained last time that it's not just you know someone who takes something, this is someone who takes by force, like a probably use the word term a brigand or an insurrectionist. This is this is someone who, who takes with violence. He's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and sees the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. The sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, they did not understand what he was saying to them. So let's, let's go over the scene here. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. There's really no bridge between chapters 9 and 10. It's just continually flowing. It's a conversation that's happening. We saw in chapter 9, verse 40, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind, Jesus? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And so all this is connected. And in this parable or figure of speech, the Pharisees are the thieves and the robbers. Not going to take too kindly to him calling them out like that. It's interesting when we read the Gospels, it's the Pharisees, the religious leaders. They're the ones who Jesus... Corrects harshly, they're the ones who Jesus is kind of angry with. Actually, the adulterers, the sinners, the tax collectors open arms, come to me. They called him a glutton and a drunkard because he hung out with sinners. Come to me, he says. But to these Pharisees, these religious leaders, he gets right up in their grills with this stuff. He's not letting them get away with their self-righteous pride. So they're the thieves and the robbers. Verse 5, the Pharisees are the strangers. This figure of speech almost exactly matches Ezekiel 34, as Pastor Jared explained last time. And Jesus is is repeating the indictment of Ezekiel 34 right here against the Pharisees. And he's also fulfilling the prophecy of the Lord gathering his own sheep. Ezekiel 34, verse 3, the Lord says this to the then religious leaders of Israel Ezekiel 34 3 You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness, you have ruled them. And it goes on and on. I encourage you to read the whole chapter of Ezekiel 34. Uh, These are good things to note when you're looking for, uh, you know, a godly pastor in a godly church. There are a lot of bad leaders out there. And so if you see this spirit of selfishness and greed and materialism in a leader of a church, you need to get away from that. (laughs) Don't go to that church. Don't even go there. Uh, And this is an indictment against pastors. You know, we we pastors need to look closely at ourselves as we, and I have been as we preach this. Man, am I one of those? (laughs) I hope not. God help me. Sadly, though, in many ways, I probably am just like that. Selfish, greedy. You know, if every one of us looked deeply in the mirror, we'd see that in ourselves too. God help us. Easy to point a finger and say, oh, yeah, those Pharisees, a bunch of knuckleheads. <laughs> What's wrong with them? Why can't they get it right? Throwing stones. What did Jesus say? Let the one with no sin throw the first stone. So that's me. I'm just like those terrible Pharisees in so many ways. God help me. And so that's the indictment against those bad shepherds in ezekiel 34 and here jesus calls out the pharisees you say you see but you're really blind you're just like these guys back in ezekiel 34 you're a thief and a robber you're a stranger and and you can see it played out in, in the scene with the blind man right you remember the blind man goes to the religious leaders, remember, in chapter 9, and they're asking him all these questions. And he's like, well, hey, do you want to follow him too? <laughs> and they're mad at him and all these things. And who does the blind man end up following? Follows Jesus. He doesn't follow the Pharisees. He doesn't follow the stranger, the thief, and the robber. The true sheep follow the true shepherd. They hear, he hears Jesus' voice. He comes. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees put him out of the synagogue, completely ruining his life, basically, is what that would be. You have no fellowship at all in the community, the Jewish community. If you're put out. It's a really big deal. We don't understand that. I don't know that we can understand that. You know, if, if someone, if we were to put you out of this church, you just go next door. <laughs> it's a very different cultural context. Uh, The blind man gets put out and Jesus goes to him and he follows Jesus. Ezekiel 34, though, we actually see marks of the good shepherd. If you read on in Ezekiel 34, verse 15, the Lord says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. The true sheep follow the true shepherd. They won't be controlled by the Pharisees, just as the blind man wasn't controlled by the Pharisees. I loved his boldness, too. He wasn't afraid of them. Jesus made me see, right? Who cares what you guys say? (laughs) I'm following Jesus. right? I believe in him. Forget about you guys. He's not controlled by them. And in verse two, you see the one who enters by the door is Jesus. The gatekeeper is God. So you have this illustration of the sheep pen. Now we're not shepherds. So I'll do the best I can to help us understand this a little bit here. Uh, There were, there were pens for the sheep. They were either gates somehow set up. Sometimes they were walls that were set up And, and there's a door that guards the entrance, There's a gatekeeper of the door, and then there's actually the door. And Jesus says, I am the door. he, He says, and the one who enters by the door are the true right shepherds. The sheep hear the voice of the shepherd. He gathers his own. They follow him because they know his voice. Jesus, the good shepherd, went after the blind man. When the Pharisees, the thieves, and the robbers cast him out. So this whole illustration, this whole parable, he's given them this story to illustrate what just happened with that blind dude. The Pharisees were supposed to be the shepherds, but they were not. They loaded heavy burdens on the sheep and didn't lift a finger to help them at all. Notice also Jesus calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And that's what he was doing. the blind man, and that's what he's doing right now with you and with me. The Pharisees didn't see. They didn't understand. He speaks to them in this parable, but they didn't understand anything about what he was saying to them. And how did Jesus respond? Well, similarly to the way he did in chapter 6, if you remember that. When he said that he was the bread of life, you remember Jesus telling them he was the bread of life, life in chapter six, they didn't understand that they wanted the physical bread, he Says I'm the bread of life, and they didn't understand. And they asked him questions about it, and then he unpacks it further, but the further he unpacks it, the further he explains it, the further he sheds light on the truth that he's telling them, the more unoffensive it is to them. He he doesn't pull it back. Remember in in John chapter six, he said, I'm the bread of of life. Eat of me and you will never hunger again. They're like, okay, how do we do that? So he explained it further, but in a much more offensive way. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He doesn't soften it. He makes the medicine harder to take. And they're thinking, this guy's crazy. He says, my flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. They didn't get it at all. Like, how can we drink his blood and eat his flesh? This is gross. We're out, gone. Like thousands stopped following him. Sure, his disciples were like, Jesus, man, come on. You're losing the crowds. (laughs) We work hard to get these followers and likes. <laughs> Don't go squandering them with talk like that. That's crazy talk, Jesus. And he's doing the same thing here in John chapter 10. As he told them back in John chapter 6, no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. He puts it out there. To to those who believed, he was making things clearer. To those who were blind, he made himself offensive and gross. And he's doing the same thing here. He's just making himself more offensive to them constantly. Then he says he is the door. Let's look at that, verse 7. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So he gives them another picture to consider here. He says, I am the door. Verse 8. There have been a lot of pretenders. But the sheep didn't listen to them. So the picture here is of Jesus as the entryway to the sheepfold and to good pasture. It's an illustration of what he says in John chapter 14, verse 6, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You come to the Father through Jesus the Son. Give him the glory, great things he has done. See that right? Jesus is the door, he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Now some shepherds of that time would actually lie down in the entryway of the sheepfold to the sheep. To keep the sheep in and keep the wolves out. So Jesus is saying here, Trust in me. You will be safe. You even think of it further. You will be saved. Trust in me. You'll find green pastures and sweet waters. You'll be safe and will have plenty. Eternal life, abundant life. There are many wolves out there that can destroy you spiritually. Trust in Jesus. He'll never let them get to you. He's the door. The wolf comes, he hangs in there. He doesn't run like the the hireling does. He protects, he feeds. Trust in Jesus and he'll never let them get you. You're saved and they can never snatch you out of his hand, says in other verses. They'll never get through Jesus the door. And this is so much more than just being saved. This is abundant saving. This is the greenest, sweetest pasture for your soul that there could ever be. Your soul needs life. Jesus is the abundant life you need and desire in the deepest part of your soul. This is about peace with God, about knowing the God you were made by and for, and resting in the protection. He gives to his sheep. I'm kind of glad it's raining like this today. because This is a message of rest, peace, in the deepest part of your soul. I want us to feel that today. As the rain comes down, just let it rain over your soul today. Find rest for your soul. And Jesus, the door, the good shepherd. He gives rest and protection to his sheep. And he talks about that in verses 11 through 18. He says, I am the good shepherd. So now he uses a different illustration. He said, I'm the door. So the door represents strength, protection, containment. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life the sheep. And as I read this over and over again, I kept thinking about Psalm 23. Now, Psalm 23 is the song we always hear at a funeral. And it doesn't just apply to those who have gone on, passed on. It applies to our lives every single day. Psalm 23, go ahead and turn to it. I have it marked in my Bible because I read it every day. Especially these last couple of years. Especially these last couple of years. Psalm 23. You want to know what the good shepherd looks like? This is what the good shepherd does. David writes this. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Some translations say I shall not want.
1: Literally it's I do
0: not want. I think there's an important distinction there. If you read that, I do not want. That's different. Shall not kind of puts it out in the future. Like, okay, maybe someday I won't want. I do not want. Kind of hits me like right now, right here. What's wrong with my heart that I'm always wanting? Lord, help me to not want. Help me to have perfect rest in my soul, Lord, right now in you. The Lord is my shepherd. I do not want. All my needs are met. Think about it. I mean, we live here in the United States of America. (laughs) All of our needs are met. The poorest of the poor are like kings compared to the people I saw in the Dominican Republic and Haiti and other places I've seen. All of our needs are met. You strip it all away, brothers and sisters. We really have no need to want for anything. Heal it all back. Lord is my shepherd. Do not want. Just rest in Jesus. Verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me. Doesn't he have to make us? i've been like really thinking about that i don't just lie down because i feel like i can rest now no my heart is restless until it rests in jesus and so he makes me lie down in green pastures like settle down son just rest yourself i'm all wiggly and like wanting i'm always telling my kids okay just be just stay quiet and be still motionless and silent. Can you do that? Can you just do that? You know? And I'm saying that, but I'm not. Like inside it's raging, right? There's all these thoughts and things and worries and cares and anxieties that just flood our hearts and minds constantly all the time. Jesus makes me lie down. Just stretch out there in that green, beautiful grass. Stretch out there. Some of you younger folks here, you're like, Yeah, what's he talking about? Man? I don't want to get out there and run around. <laughs> Some of us older folks in here, like, Oh, that sounds That's really good. good. <laughs> that sounds really good. He leads me beside still waters. You know, another literal translation for that is waters of rest. He leads me. Beside quiet waters of rest. Still waters. The waters aren't raging. You're not rafting down these waters. These are just still quiet waters of rest. Interesting. Look, who's the one doing all the action here? God is the good shepherd. He's leading me. Because I won't go there on my own. I wander this way, that way, and all the other way. I drink the bad water I'm all over the place. And he's like, no, 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 no. His rod, his staff, pull me back. He's leading. You know, you need to go here. And I don't want to go there, Lord. I want the water over there. No, you need to go right over here. Oh, yeah, this is the better water. Thank you, Lord. Verse three, he restores my soul. Some of us need a soul restoration. Extreme soul makeover. (laughs) He restores my soul. I don't restore my soul. If I try to do that, I make a mess of it all. I don't know nothing about restoring the soul. God does that. The good shepherd Jesus does that. He restores my soul. It is the Lord who refreshes and makes the soul alive. It is the Lord Jesus who restores a weary and troubled soul and gives it rest at the soul level. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Again, he's leading us. He leads his sheep in the right way for his own glory. He does it for his own glory, for his name's sake. When he leads us into righteousness, when we live in a righteous way, it's for the glory of God, not for our own glory. For his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, another translation there is the valley of deep darkness. You ever walk through a valley of deep darkness? The picture here is your travel. We don't understand this either, but in those days, they would travel, and it would be dangerous to travel. There could be robbers all around. You're walking through this valley, and the sun's going down. There's no light. It's a valley of deep darkness. There's danger everywhere. Robbers, lions, beasts, anything waiting to kill you and steal from you. True danger. Even though I walk through the valley of deep darkness darkness the shadow of death i will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me so when enemies and terror surround you all around you can rest in jesus the great protector of your soul Verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So here, the the Lord gives you victory over all of your enemies, so much so that you can even relax and enjoy a meal in their presence. Think about it. You're very vulnerable when you're eating a meal, right? Your hands are occupied. You know, you're eating. You don't have your hand on your weapon. You're very vulnerable at a place where you're eating a meal. And so the illustration here is God's got it. He's he's prepared a table for you to enjoy a meal, even in the presence of all your enemies. Surround me. You can have full rest and enjoy the spiritual food from God, even in that situation. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. This is a, a symbol of honor. The Lord honors and cares for you. You will overflow with his blessings. And then surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, his goodness and unfailing love will pursue you all the days of your life. You'll always desire and enjoy being in his presence. So Jesus is the good shepherd. He gave his life freely and voluntarily in your place, that you might be delivered from death and have eternal and abundant life. The good shepherd gives his life for the redemption of his sheep. Notice that he didn't lay down his life for fallen angels or or even for all men necessarily, All men in general, but he he laid down his life for his own people in particular, the sheep, not the goats. He lays down his life for the sheep and he takes it up again. So the question today is, are you resting in and trusting in the care of Jesus, the good shepherd? Or have you wandered away and are you suffering and anxiety apart from his loving care? sheep are prone to wander we get out there and we start looking around like oh what do i do how do i get out here this is scary oh trust in jesus the good shepherd follow him now feel his loving kindness and rest for your soul verse 12 back in john 10 He who has a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. So understand this, Jesus is the good shepherd who will die for his sheep. The Pharisees, the hired hands, the religious leaders, they see the wolf coming and they run. They don't protect the sheep at all. They only care about themselves. And notice when they flee. They flee when the wolf comes. They're pretty good hanging out when everything's good, pretending.
1: Then when the danger
0: comes, the wolf comes, they're out. Right? You might have never known they were the hireling or the thief or the robber if the wolf hadn't come. That's the true indicator. They're out when the wolf comes. Verse 14 is interesting. Jesus knows his sheep and his sheep know him. And in 15, we see Jesus is as bound to his sheep as he is to his father. So as I was reading this too, he's talking a lot about sheep. And I was thinking... What are some characteristics of sheep? What are they like? We've just seen what the good shepherd is like. What are some characteristics of sheep? Let's talk about a few things in general about sheep. And he's—we are the sheep in this illustration. <laughs> so that you may say "amen" or "ouch" <laughs> with some of these. Um, but but sheep are generally helpless. They're generally helpless. You know, they have no weapons of attack or defense. You know, some bighorn sheep have those horns, but they're like curved back and not curved out, you know. So like, and they would hurt, by the way, if you get hit, for sure. But, you know, they're generally helpless creatures. No weapons of attack. And, you know, so (laughs) we believers, too, you know, at the core of it all, we're really kind of helpless. Because what did Jesus tell us? Without me, you can do nothing. So don't think you're all that in a bag of chips. You're helpless. Without me, you, you can't do anything. So anything good that you do, you might as well say, to God be the glory, because you ain't nothing without God. We're helpless. So just, just acknowledge that. Okay. Just, just embrace that. You know, in my younger life, I was ah, no, I'm not helpless. Look at all the great stuff I can do. I can do this, and I can do that, and I can do this great big thing for God, and I'm going to do this great big thing for God. And bam, God says, "You're nothing. You're a worm. You're helpless. You ain't got nothing figured out, Ryan. Stop thinking like that. Helpless. You're just a helpless sheep. Sheep are helpless. So just." The, the sooner you understand that in your life, the better you're going to be. Just, just embrace it. Yeah, I'm helping Scott. Please help me. I can do nothing without you, Jesus. Sheep are also generally gentle. Think of a little lamb. You know, when you think of a sheep, you think, oh, Mary had a little lamb. You know, it's just, it's gentle. It's soft and woolly, you know, and you want to pet it. Oh, it's just so gentle and soft and Aren't we believers? We're, we're supposed to be known for our gentleness. It's one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? Some of us we are like hedgehogs, like prickly. <laughs> like porcupines. Like, why what's wrong with him? Why is he so grumpy all the time? <laughs> I love Jesus, don't mess with me. We're <laughs> like a porcupine. You know, we're supposed to be, we're sheep. Be gentle, oh cozy, cuddly. They're gentle. Sheep are entirely dependent on the shepherd. Not only must the sheep look to the shepherd for protection against the wild animals, but he must lead them to pasture. See, that the shepherd leads the sheep where to get food. He leads them to the pasture. So protection, provision come from the shepherd. The sheep are totally dependent on the shepherd. And we also need God's protection and provision and leading in our lives. And sheep, they're just known to wander, as I was saying earlier. They're they're characterized by their proneness to wander. Even when they're placed in a field with a fence all around it, if there's any gap in there anywhere in that fence or wall, they're going to find a way through it. They're just prone to wander. And isn't that true of us as well? We're so prone to wander from our Lord and go our own way and seek our own desires and glory. And then we, like I said earlier, we lift up our head and we're like, oh, I got myself into now. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. So when you feel that prone to wander, like that song that we sing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it to lead the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts Cry out to Jesus. Oh, I've wandered, Jesus. Help me find my way home. He'll do that. He'll not only, like, show you where home is, he picks you up, puts you on his shoulders, and carries you home. That's what Jesus, the good shepherd, does. As we wander constantly, Sheep are also very useful. You know, each year they supply a crop of wool. And this too embodies a Christian. Our daily attitude should be, Lord, what would you have me do for your glory today? How can I be used for your kingdom and your glory today, Lord? Use me for your kingdom and for your glory. Jesus is the good shepherd. He knows his own and his own know him. Verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. And so here he's, he's basically saying, hey, the flock is so much more than just Israel. Because they might have been thinking, oh, you know, salvation is for the Jews. And here he's alluding to salvation is, is, is opened up to all. Not just for the Jews. He had other sheep that are not of this fold. He must bring them also. And I thought it was interesting that this verse, particularly, is written on the grave of David Livingstone. Dr. Livingstone, I presume. It's written on his grave. He was a famous explorer and missionary to Africa. His grave is in Westminster Abbey. If you travel to London, go see it. This is the foundation of our confidence that we will make it to heaven. Because we're not Jews, brothers and sisters, so this is a great verse of rejoicing for us. He has sheep, not of this fold. This is us. We get to be part of the kingdom of God, too, through faith in Jesus. And so let's unpack this together. He says, I have other sheep. He has other sheep. He has them before he brings them. They are already sheep. They're already his. Don't miss that. He has them already. Verses 3 and 4, he says, they are his own sheep. He has them before he calls them. John 17, 6 says, the Father has them and gives them to Jesus. And Jesus is praying to God there in John 17. He's praying to God the Father and says, yours they were, and then you gave them to me. So we see this all over the Bible. John 6, 37, all that the father gives me will come to me. And this is how you got saved. This is the doctrine of election. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, 4. He has the sheep already. I must bring them also, he says in our text today. It's necessary that I bring them. Your salvation happens because of that word must He must bring you. He had to get you. The father has chosen the sheep. Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. I will bring them, he says. And in verse three, he says he does it by his word. His word goes forth. The sheep hear, they come, they know his voice. And so there's a real missions overtone here. You know, we must be the voice of Jesus in the world. There, there's something about it. I don't understand it. Call it mystical. Call it whatever you want. God saves you. But you've got to hear the gospel. Why does he do it that way? I don't know why he does it that way. For his own glory. But that's how he does it. And so we must be the voice of God in the world. We must be the voice of Jesus in the world. The sheep are out there all over the place. Go to China. There are sheep in China. Proclaim the gospel. They will hear his voice and come. It's almost like they're out there eating the grass. Jesus, believe in him and be saved. Yes. That's what I've been waiting to hear my whole life. Thank you for coming and sharing the gospel with me. Where have you been for so long? I've heard people say that. You go in your own family, in your own community. You be the voice of Jesus in this world. The sheep are out there. Now, sometimes they're pretty dull of hearing. Sometimes they got to hear 70 times. And then the 71st time they're like, yes, I believe now. Thank you for telling me about Jesus. And other people that have shared the gospel with them are like, well, I told them that 50 times and you didn't believe. Well, you you were sowing the seeds. You were watering. God used you in a useful way. And then suddenly, bing, there it was. And it's beautiful. The sheep are out there. You know, so often we're like, oh, no, I'm afraid. I can't tell them about Jesus. What if they're not going to like me? What if they're going to think I'm weird? What if they oh, think I'm some kind of cult or something? I'm kind of nonsense. Forget all that. Get over yourself. <laughs> Be the voice of Jesus in the world. The sheep are out there. They hear his voice and they come. <clears throat> That's how people are saved today. We preach. We share. We bear witness. That we were once blind, but now we see. We proclaim the word of God, and the sheep hear it and they come. And Jesus even says right here, they will listen to my voice. It will happen. It's not a maybe. They will listen and come. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and they follow him. His sheep hear his voice, they know him, they follow him. This is how you know you're a sheep. If you don't ever follow, You were never a sheep. If you do follow, you always were a sheep. Think about that. (coughs) So how do you know if you're a sheep? Do you hear his voice and come freely to him? This is how you know. His sheep hear his voice and they follow him. You hear and you come. I can't emphasize it enough. And I've seen it happen in, in over and over again in people's lives. One minute, Jesus is stupid and confusing, and I don't understand it, and blah, blah, blah. The next minute, wow. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my soul. God does it. And He becomes the greatest treasure of your life. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. The flock is forever, eternal and abundant life forever. Now, the flow of truths taught here is very similar to the end of what we see in Romans chapter 8. If I paraphrase that, you'll kind of see some of the similarities. No one is lost. To those whom the Father chose for himself, he gave to the Son. To those who belong to the Son, Jesus, Jesus, He laid down his life to save. For those whom he laid down his life, he called to himself. To those who heard his voice and followed him. To those who followed him, he gave eternal life. To those who have eternal life, they cannot be taken out of his hand. Therefore, there will be forever one flock and one shepherd. This should make your faith and assurance of salvation unshakable. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. King Jesus has you in his hand and you are home forever and ever. When he emphasizes here the sheep not of this fold, I'm reminded of Revelation chapter 5 verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God and every tribe and language and people and nation. Salvation isn't just for white people in North Carolina or in Youngsville. Every tribe and tongue and nation, poor, rich, black, white, red, brown, whatever. It's for all, every tribe and tongue and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That is why missions is vital. They must hear Jesus's voice. And when they do, they will come and worship the king. and We'll see that picture illustrated in Revelation 5, 9. So go, go to China, go to Africa, go to Arabia, all the scary places, boldly make Jesus's voice heard. Read the voice of the Martyrs Magazine. Let that encourage and inspire you to go. May God call out more like David Livingstone and Adoniram Judson and William Carey and David Brainerd and Lonnie Moon and Annie Armstrong from among the flock at Living Hope. May God's purpose to gather all the peoples never fail and be part of it. Let's finish up here at verse 17. He says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. So simply, when Christ died, he did so of his own voluntary will. This is a point of vital importance. When Christ endured cruel treatment at the hands of his enemies, it was because he allowed it. Without his own consent, no one could have armed even a hair on his head. He allowed it. It wasn't the nails that held him to the cross. It was the strength of his love to the father and to his sheep, which held him to the cross. He laid down his life and he took it up again. He died and rose from the dead on the third day. And it's through his resurrection from the dead that we have a living hope in our souls. And so he says these words and in verse 19, you can see the typical reaction. And you'll see a similar reaction to this too. When you proclaim the truth of the gospel. There was a division among them because of these words. That's just how it is. Many of them said, he has a demon. He's insane. Why listen to him? Verse 21, others said, come on. These aren't the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? The words of Jesus cause division. Just expect it. And that doesn't mean we got to go out there and, like, beat people up with them. Like, oh, come on. That doesn't mean we beat people up with the words of Jesus. We simply tell the truth with meekness, (laughs) humility, and love. And let the words do what they're going to do. Let the Holy Spirit do his work with God's word. There there can be division. Some think he's crazy. Others are drawn to him. You'll have the same reaction. Some will think, oh boy, he's one of those Jesus freak weirdos. (laughs) And those will be like, wow, thank you. I needed that. So, what about you today? You've heard the voice of Jesus in this message, you've heard the words of Jesus. Will you come and find rest from the Good Shepherd today? I pray you will come to Jesus and find rest for your troubled and weary soul with him today.